Burundi and the life of Riley. That's me, Eric Riley, that is. Let's jump right in. Burundi, Africa. There are lots of little countries in the world that I don't know exist, nor really care to know. So I understand that when people ask me where I was born, they usually need more details explaining the geography of Central Africa. Burundi is connected to the southern border of Rwanda and nestled between Tanzania and Congo, with the shore of the Lake Tanganyika covering much of its western border. I was born in a house on a mission station called Kibimba, located near the geographical center of Burundi. While I was in Burundi, my parents were Quaker missionaries there. Dad was an electrical mechanical guru. Although he worked tirelessly on the team that created and maintained a radio station, I remember him mostly for inventing things like a tic-tac-toe mechanical computer game from a manual typewriter using punch card technology. Mom raised us kids and did accounting for the radio station. The Kabima Mission Station is historically relevant as a beacon of learning and health in a pocket of Burundi that was desperate for it. Kibimba also represents a deep wound of racism and prejudice for the country. To preface, in both Burundi and Rwanda, the predominant inhabitants are the Tutsi and Hutu tribes. There is a long history of racial tension and struggling for power and land between them. Tutsis have more distinct facial features and stature that resemble Western cultures more than the typically shorter Hutus with flatter and broader noses. When the Belgians took control of that area of Africa in 1914, they were attracted to the appearance of the Tutsis and placed them in positions of political and military power. This made the Hutus bitter, fearful, and vengeful. Burundi and Rwanda won their independence from Belgium in 1962, the year I was born. Although there were times of war between the tribes before the European control, nothing compared to the genocides that would be coming to both countries. The political struggles in the mid-1960s culminated in the first major Burundi genocide of the Hutus in 1972. My family left the country shortly thereafter, and as a family, we never returned. The minority Tutsi tribe ruled Burundi. In the next two decades, there were a few reported massacres and even more massacres that went unnoticed on the international stage. In 1993, there was an election that was open to the populace, and the Hutu opposition party won the vote. The first Hutu president ever was in power. Early in the morning on October 22, 1993, the national radio station reported that the Tutsi military kidnapped the newly elected president. When the news of this reached the countryside, echoes of the 1972 genocide struck panic in the entire Hutu population. At the Kabima mission station, many Hutus armed with clubs and machetes quickly captured many Tutsi students, teachers, and staff both men and women. They led the large group to a small filling station building near the main road and stuffed them all inside, more than 120 of them and possibly up to 250. Some of them were already dead by the time they reached the small building, but they were all crammed in just the same. The Hutu leaders demanded the release of the kidnapped president, threatening the lives of all the citizens stuffed into the small building. Immediately, the road in both directions was torn out to prevent the military from passing or getting close to the situation by conventional means. What they didn't know is that the militia already assassinated the president early in the day. When the news over the radio announced that the president was already dead, the local Hutus at Kibimba set the little building on fire. They also surrounded it so that no one could run from the flames. One badly burned student managed to escape late in the night, being shielded from death by other dead bodies on top of him. He was a competitive runner, and even though his burns were severe, he ran and ran to save his own life. 
His name is Gilbert Tuabonye. After he healed up, he continued to train and represented Burundi in the 1996 Olympics at Atlanta, Georgia. Gilbert's name will come up again later on in the story. To this day, the memorial erected to enshrine the Kibimba gas station simply states, Never again, as a covenant and constant reminder of the cultural scars that still exist. The retaliation of the Tutsi military was swift and brutal. While many Hutus, including priests and nuns, were complicit in the massacre of hundreds of innocent Tutsis, the Tutsi militia slaughtered many thousands of Hutus in response. Nearly 300,000 Burundians from both tribes were brutally killed. More than 800,000 refugees, mostly Hutu, fled to Rwanda, and even more fled to Tanzania and Congo. That was the last part of 1993. In April of 1994, as a response to the missile attack that shot down an airplane containing the presidents from both Burundi and Rwanda, the Hutus seized the opportunity to enact horrific vengeance on the Tutsis of Rwanda. The movie Hotel Rwanda gives a glimpse of the depth of evil when groups are blinded into a frenzy of killing in ways that only humans can. Of course, while the movie leaves a lot to the imagination, enough to give you nightmares, it does not mention the details of the horrific intensity of human brutality. However, the main character of the film, Paul Rosessa-Begina, the hotel manager that rescued more than 1,200 Tutsis and fought for their lives, fled the country and now lives in the United States. There will be more mention of him later, too. There's so much more to tell you about the life of Riley, but this story seems especially important to me. I'm going to condense the first part of my life to catch up to 2001. My family lived in Burundi until 1974, shortly after the most intense tribal genocide by Tutsis attempting to eliminate the Hutus. My oldest sister just graduated from high school, and mom and dad decided to be done with being missionaries for a while. That is, until my other two sisters and I could get our basic education complete. We ended up in a small town in Kansas that has a Quaker college. Dad worked in areas where his electrical skills were the most value. Mom got her teaching certificate to teach special needs students and all of us children made it through high school. My three older sisters got married to boyfriends they met at college. I was a freshman in the same college when mom and dad decided to be missionaries again. They went to Haiti this time. I graduated from college with a Bachelor of Arts degree, lived a couple more years in Kansas, and then moved to Southeast Texas. In high school and college, I had the opportunity to visit that area of Texas through my involvement in a couple different choirs and singing groups, I also spent a summer doing a church planning internship in Austin, Texas, where an admired missionary that I knew from Burundi was the pastor. Through that experience and the impact of an extraordinary couple and the leadership of that church, I was convinced that Texas was where my future would be. I moved south of Houston and worked at a specialty trucking company and developed a small graphics department for them. I also did some low-level computer programming. After two years and with a lot of support from my generous friends, I opened a t-shirt printing shop that let me explore graphic design on more creative levels. The business expanded to signs and embroidery and other printed paper products. That lasted about 17 years and included other projects such as publishing a local newspaper called Times Community News. You can view the PDF versions of all of the issues on ericreilly.com. During this chapter of my life, I was blessed to have amazing employees, including a remarkable manager. They all gave me space to explore the possibility of traveling back to Burundi again after all these years. Here's a shout out to Jenny or Virginia and Michelle at JM Custom Screen Printing. Visit their website, jmtshirts.com, 
or on Facebook, look for Virginia Enriquez, E-N-R-I-Q-U-E-Z. Virginia was my manager during all of my trips to Africa and took care of my company with confidence and security like no other. Her commitment to excellent customer service is second to none. Michelle was my screen printing department with her keen eye for perfection. I still get to do some graphics for them, so please contact them and place your orders because you'll be benefiting me as well. I made plans to be away from my business for six weeks. The first two weeks would be in Kigali, Rwanda, and the other four weeks in various parts of Burundi. This was in 2001, before instant access to people via social media or WhatsApp. I wrote the relevant emails to my friends in Africa to confirm everything that I intended to do. I updated my passport, got a regimen of shots for any possible diseases, and bought my round-trip ticket. I was one of the first in line to board the 747 at Bush Intercontinental Airport on the north end of Houston, Texas. 30 years after I'd been there as a kid in grade school seemed like only a few years had passed. Memories of fascination and fun were vivid, and I was beside myself with excitement. Of course, the people around me on the giant jet had no idea, and I was determined to hold it all in. As I gazed out the portal of my assigned window seat, most of the places around me began to populate as well. All of them except the seat next to me. Now I'm a big guy, so anytime I'm in coach class with extra elbow room is an excellent flight, so I was crossing my fingers. Finally, a thin, young, well-dressed, and well-groomed black gentleman walked down the aisle with his sharp-looking book bag and sat next to me. Darn, there went my extra space. After he settled in, I introduced myself. My name is Patrick, he replied. His accent gave it away. He was from somewhere in Africa. Are you traveling from Houston, I asked, mustering as much relatedness as I could. No, I go to a university in Phoenix, Arizona, and traveling back home to visit my family for a few weeks. I was eager to share my adventure, but I held back and listened a bit more. Oh, really? That's great. What are you doing in Phoenix then? I have a full ride track scholarship and studying international business for now. Running, I assume. Yes, I run the 800 meter dash. I'm currently ranked number four in the world. So you were at the 2000 Olympics? Yes, I didn't win, but it was an amazing experience. At the time, Patrick Nduimana attended the University of Arizona he represented Burundi in the 2000 and 2004 Olympics and still holds the Burundi national record in both 400 and 800 meter dash. Where's home for you? Remember, I was in Houston, Texas on a big jet with 400 plus assigned seats as a first leg of a journey that required five different flights over 24 hours. I'm from a little country in the middle of Africa called Burundi. That's where my family is. Really, Patrick? That's where you're going now? I'm going there too. I was born there. I'm not sure if he was relieved that he didn't have to recite the geography script about the location of Burundi, but I could tell he was genuinely excited to share something this big with a stranger he met only seconds earlier. Where exactly were you born, Patrick asked. Kibimba. Do you know where that is? Of course I do, he exclaimed. Everyone in Burundi knows where Kibimba is. It's beautiful there and holds so much history for us. Patrick filled me in on the political mood since the genocide and some of the efforts for lasting peace between the tribes. There was such a strong and global public reaction to the pressing need in Rwanda and Burundi that it seemed that the whole world was participating in the peace process. The first 747 flight ended in Newark, New Jersey, where we were cleared for international travel and then on to Amsterdam. Patrick and I arranged our seating on the TWA flight to continue our conversation across the Atlantic to Amsterdam, as well as the next flight to Nairobi, Kenya. Even though the destination for both of us was Brujumbura, Burundi, I wanted to visit some friends in Rwanda first. 
So we parted ways until I arrived safely in Burundi a couple weeks later. Landing in the Bujumbura National Airport was surreal. I don't know if I kissed the ground after landing, but I thought about it hard enough that in my mind it seemed more factual than not. Because my parents were missionaries, the community of benevolence and faith was a community to which I was exposed and participated. Meeting Patrick opened up access to another group of people in Burundi, the Olympic community, which, in turn, introduced me to a few different government ministries. My adventure expanded and occurred as magical and miraculous every day. Patrick's older brother, Henry, also proved to be a very inspirational connection. He worked with the reconciliation between the Hutu and Tutsi tribes. He went on to work in Kampala, Uganda, rehabilitating child soldiers that were sucked into the conflict in the northern part of the country and rescuing child soldiers from southern Sudan. I met him there in Kampala a few years later to witness some of his amazing work. I'll mention Henry again a little later, too. Please go to ericreilly.com and check out my thank you for your support page to participate financially in my life. Thank you very much.